real good to be in his presence and to enjoy him. And, uh, you know, today I'm going to speak to you as a son and a daughter of God. We're four parts through a five-part series where we've been uh, looking at and asking that God would take us from a place of simple obedience to a place of extravagant generosity when it comes to us following wisely the things that God has entrusted to us to be able to give away. We've called this series The Treasure Principle, and today I'm convinced that God's going to speak to us. We're going to be looking at a passage in a, a book of the Bible called Matthew. It was a, um, uh, one of the, the Gospels, and um, in Matthew 6, uh, what happens is that Jesus uh, is, it begins a sermon which is known as the Sermon on the Mount, and um, it's one of the most famous sermons that Jesus ever gave, and perhaps the most famous sermon that's ever happened. And D.A. Carson says about this sermon, the more I read these chapters, the more I'm drawn to them and shamed by them. Their brilliant light draws me like a moth to a spotlight, but the light is so bright that it sears and burns. That's what I've been feeling like as I've been looking at this. It's been reminding me how far I've come in God, at the same time realizing how far I've got to go as I become more like Christ. But are you up for joining me on this adventure today? All right, well, listen, it's great to be with you. My name's Steve. I'm part of the team, and I'm, I, I just want to pray for us as we launch off and have a look at these verses and see how they apply. So, Lord Jesus, Lord, our hearts are open to you today. God, come and have your way. We thank you for all you've been doing and for all you're continuing to do. And we say we trust you, Lord, with every single ounce of our hearts, Lord God. We trust you. So come and speak deeply to us, we pray. In Jesus' name. All right, if you've got Bibles, feel free to turn to Matthew 6, otherwise it's going to appear up on the screen behind me. This is what it says. We're going to read verses 19 through 21. Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rusts cannot destroy, but thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. These are incredibly provoking words that Jesus writes to us. And uh, they were provoking both at the time, and they're also provoking for us today, because it actually comes against almost some of what kind of earthly teaching is. We need to have security, we need to have resources, we need to base our finances, our stocks, shares, houses, and everything else in order to live a very secure life. But Jesus comes against that, indicating that ultimately there is no real security in material things. Material treasure on earth is either going to be destroyed destroyed by elements of nature, moth and rust, or stolen by thieves. But Jesus says that only investments not subject to loss are the treasures in heaven. You see, God cares more about the condition of our hearts than the condition of our wallets. Did you know that? He's interested and he is pursuing, I believe, through this series, the hearts. And if you boil down these verses, what I believe it's saying is that we're being called not just to be a people who go on to live for eternity, saved in Christ, but a people who live for that which is eternal. Are we going to live now for the things of eternity? Now, I don't know whether you've ever particularly thought about eternity. It might seem just like an awful long time to you. When I used to think about what an awful long time might look like, I was just thinking, man, that must be really boring. I maybe thought, hey, how many verses of, uh, you know, we want to see Jesus lifted high, can you sing without it driving you up the wall, right? Is that all we're going to be doing? That's not what the Bible says. 
Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 says, we, um, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And you know, I remember an illustration which actually really helped me when it came to understanding eternity. And it was done a little while back by one of the members of the team called Paul Johnson. And it went a little bit like this. You guys are going to have to help me for one moment. Because what Paul did was he got a piece of string and he stretched the string. You guys stand up for a moment. He stretched the string right the way across the room. And he made reference to the fact that um, God is obviously eternally... You okay with the string there? We're good? He's um, eternally been with us, but obviously at one point, many people call it the Big Bang. At one point, hold it a little bit tighter, folks. We're, um, we're not playing tug of war, but tight is good. Very good. So what happened was that through the Big Bang, there was a point in history where God created time as we know it. And then one day, there will be a point in history where Jesus returns and time as we know it will finish. It was a good try, Simon. And then through time, if we, if we imagine here is, is kind of where we are, through time, there was, of course, the, the, the dinosaur's reign, which might well have been around about here. And then there was the, uh, the point when Cliff Richards last had a hit single. <laughs> and um, now, don't blame me. It was PJ's illustration, okay? So if you're a Cliff Richard fan, I apologize. There was the point around about here where the uh, England cricket team last had a reasonable side. And, um, and then somewhere... Somewhere maybe about here is us. And so I'm going to make a little mark there, look. So that, if you like, is our life in the midst of history. Now, what I want to do is just mark maybe where the end of our life will be. So I I was thinking maybe, but the reality is that it's right there as well. And in the scope of time and in the scope of history... I don't even know whether you'll be able to see that mark, let alone the separation between where God has called us to be. And you know, in the midst of this, it got me thinking, actually, what do I want to live for? Because in my temporary life, where there are challenges, where there are troubles, where there are resources that God's given to me, do I want to live for that tiny mark? Or do I want to know what God's called me to and live as a son and daughter for the eternity? Because this string is going on and on and on and on as Christ does. And he invites us to do that. Why don't you guys put that down? Thanks so much. You see, our time on earth here is temporary. But we can make the most of everything now and prepare for that eternity with him by listening to Jesus' advice. Store yourselves treasures in heaven. And so in this life, we're supposed to use our possessions to love people and not love possessions and use people. Let me put it like this. Our eternal perspective as we see it affects our earthly priorities. Our eternal perspective affects our earthly priorities. Now, I recently read a, a story of a guy called uh, Albert, Alfred excuse me, Noble. And uh, it was written in uh, 1888, and this guy, Alfred Noble, was a Swedish chemist, and he made an absolute fortune um, making and inventing, producing dynamite. Now, this guy had one brother, a guy called Ludwig, and uh, his brother had recently died in France, and in the midst of him mourning his death, he opened up a paper one morning to see that the editor of the paper had thought that the wrong brother had died, so he saw his own obituary. Now absolutely shocked by this, but particularly so when he saw what the headline read. It said this, the merchant of death is dead. 
Alfred Noble's obituary described a man who had gotten rich and wealthy based on the fact that he invented things that were going to kill other people. And he was horrified. And he made the decision that he wanted to change his legacy. And he said, that day, until the point I die, I'm going to commit myself to doing something which is going to impact and affect future generations. And so when he died eight years later, he left more than $9 million to fund a set of awards that were going to benefit those who work for humanity. And those awards became known as the Nobel Prize. You see, Alfred Nobel had this rare opportunity, this opportunity where he was able to see what people make of his life as if he were dead. And he made a decision that says, actually, I'm going to live now to make a difference for other people. You know, uh, Philippa and I make a point of trying to have a date night regularly. And so Monday nights are the time when her and I get to hang out, spend time together, and uh, just prioritize one another. And uh, because of the season of life that our little children are in, we often do that at home. And so uh, a few weeks back, uh, we had a real lovely dinner together. And what I decided to do was I got a little pack of cards out. And these are basically icebreaker cards. And so you lift them up, you read what it says, and you answer the question that's going to be. And literally the first question that I lifted up that I was going to answer, um, just for us to get to know each other a little bit better, was this. It said, what is the last thing that you want to see on earth before you die? I thought, man, we're going deep quickly here, by the way. And so I paused for a moment, and I wanted to think about, well, what, what is the answer to that? What do I want to see, the, uh, my last breath, as it were? What do I want to see in my last moments before I go and be with Jesus? And what I realized was that I think, despite the fact that we can't choose how that happens, what I would love to happen is for me to be sat peacefully, maybe in a bed, but with the people who are most important to me around me, with maybe Philippa and Lexi and James, our two children, just kind of sat alongside me, maybe holding my hand, then saying to me, you can go now, be peaceful, go and be with Jesus. And I began to weep. Because I realized the significance of that. Many people kind of shove under the carpet the idea of us not being here. But the reality is that unless Jesus comes back before, every single person is going to die. Every single person, one in one, is going to have that moment That's how I wanted mine to be. But it also got me thinking, well, what's going to happen immediately after that? And you know, one of the things that I'm kind of held by is the prospect of then hearing the voice of the Father saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to live for that. I want to live for that in the now because I know that's going to hold me for all of eternity. That's what I'm excited about. Alfred Noble had this opportunity. And you know, I guess I want to pose the question that if five minutes after you've died, you can ask yourself, hey, what would I have done differently? What would I have given away? How would I have treated people? How would I have spoken? What would I have invested my time in? Because Jesus makes it clear that we shouldn't do it in the temporary, but we're blessed so that we might bless others as an eternal thing. Do you know, I don't know how you feel when you hear someone talk about the idea of giving in the church. I think some people might feel skeptical, others might feel a little bit cringy. And um, we can think that actually maybe we, we have to give. You know, when those baskets come around, you know, there's an obligation to. Maybe you're going to be kicked out of the church. You're not, you're not allowed here unless you're contributing. Actually, that's not the case. You're so welcome here. Come and be part of the family. So you don't, you don't have to give anything. There's no penalties for people. It's all a gift of grace. 
And then there's other people who, who maybe think as that basket comes around, well, I'm going to give because I know that God's going to give me something back. There's this, can I, I, I give to get mentality. But the reality is that, that shouldn't be our motivation either. God is a good father who often multiplies our gifting and often blesses us at the same time as we make sacrifices. But what he isn't is some kind of celestial pull on a token kind of machine where we're going to put something in and expect as we yank it that something else is going to come out of the bottom. Instead, as a church, we're a get-to-give church. Do you know, I love giving to this church. It's where my heart is. I'm proud to say it, and I'm proud to do it. I'm excited to do it because I know the impact that it has. I get to be thankful that this is a place that I contribute and make a difference. And so when those bowls come around, those little baskets, what do you think? Do you think this is an obligation or an opportunity to do something that's going to last for an eternity? One of my favorite movies is a movie called Gladiator. Maximus at one point says this. He says, what we do in this life echoes into eternity. That's true. You see, our money, our possessions, our time, everything belongs to God. And I'm not actually saying that we should throw everything off and just go and live a very simple life in a hut somewhere. Not necessarily. Because actually, the Bible talks about people being wealthy and that wealth being a good thing and that God generously blesses people with time and resources and success. But the point is, what are you going to do with the wealth that God's given you? If everything belongs to him, what are you going to do with it? What about your car? How can we use our car that belongs to God for him? Maybe we could just take someone on a trip who, who happens to have their car in a, in a garage at that particular point. Maybe it's the case that you can just drive someone to church so they get to hear the gospel for the first time. Maybe when you think about your house, how can you use your house for God? Maybe hosting a group, having a neighbor around for dinner, allowing them to share and to connect with some of the truths of God that you have learned. And if God owns your wallet, how can I use my money to provide for people in need and build his church? You see, I want to live my life with an eternal perspective, saying everything is yours, God. Now, how do you want me to use it? It's been said that life is like Monopoly. No matter how much you accumulate, it all goes back in the box. So you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead and invest in the right things. And generosity and obedience are actually not exclusive for wealthy and, and, and well-resourced people. In fact, giving isn't just the, isn't the luxury of the rich, it's the privilege of the poor. You might be sitting here thinking, you know, I don't have very much, Steve. How can I contribute? But you can. Because God proportionally says, hey, come and give to me and watch me bless you in return. I remember when Ben Leggett and I, a few years ago, went to Russia. I was speaking at a conference, and I've done it on several occasions, and we met a guy called Mikhail, whose picture I think is just going to appear behind us. This was Mikhail praying for Ben on one occasion. And um, do you know, we met Mikhail early on in the week, and he was from the far east side of Russia, and he'd come because he was not only a pastor of a church, but he um, supported and connected with a whole number of churches in that vicinity. And uh, we met him, and immediately we were aware of the fact that he was just a guy full of God, full of the Holy Spirit, but he was actually materially very poor. And we were almost surprised by the fact that every single day, over the seven or eight days that we saw him, he wore exactly the same clothes. And we really kind of almost felt for him in, in the midst of this, and both in communication and the way that what things that we saw. But you know, at the end of that week, he came up to Ben and I. He didn't speak a word of English, so he had to use, use an interpreter. But he took off his watch, and he took off a chain around his neck. He was the two things of value that he had on his body. And he placed the watch on Ben's wrist, 
and he placed a chain around my neck and he prayed for us and he blessed us. And in the midst of his poverty in comparison to where we're at, and you know, that's one of the things that's actually a real treasured possession to me. Sat in my bedside drawer, and from time to time I kind of look at it and pray for them and pray for him because even in the place that he was at, he wanted to bless us abundantly in the midst of it. Do you know, my story is that God did a remarkable thing in the middle of, middle of one of my most difficult seasons as well. Because um, I don't know whether you've ever heard this term tithe. Now, a tithe literally means a tenth, a proportion, a tenth proportion of the income that you have been blessed with. And it's a tithe, actually, that God sets as the foundation place for actually what we should be giving to the kingdom. And so the principle says that when you get a hundred pounds, bring me ten pounds. Although that's probably not the best way of saying it. I think it's better that it says, when I give you, when God gives you a hundred pounds, you get to keep ninety. But I want you to return to me ten. So my journey toward tithing happened in one of the most difficult seasons of my life. Well, actually, I became a Christian at 24, but from about the age of 21, 22, I began to rack up uh, what large amounts of debts. And um, to the tune of uh, when I became a Christian, they were in the region of £12,500 of credit cards, of overdrafts, of loans that I tried to repay various debts with. And I was in a real mess, actually. And um, what happened was as I became a Christian, I realized that I had an incredible embarrassment, an incredible shame, a real kind of lockdown emotion about the fact that I'd got myself into such a difficult, painful place. And um, I did my very best to kind of scratch away at it and to do what I could. But to be honest with you, two or three years later, it sat at a very similar amount. It was no longer increasing, but it hadn't gone anywhere. And it was incredibly hard for me. But to lots of ways, I was almost like an ostrich, head buried in the sand, thinking, God, you've got to do something, but I don't know how to tackle this. And there was one leaders weekend that we went out and there was a, a visiting speaker, a guy who didn't know me at all, who picked me out of a crowd. He happens to be sat down here. His name's Phil Wilthew now. But at the time, he didn't know me and he picked me out and he said this. He said, God does not want me to be bound in chains over finances, but will impart wisdom on how I can break free from it. God wants you to run free from debt. Fix your eyes on him. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Now, it was a great word, but if I'm honest with you, I thought to myself, I, he probably just doesn't know how big the situation is. Like, he'd, like tw- I'm not earning very much money. £12,500 is ridiculous, but I thought, you know, I want to do something with this. And so what I decided to do was that every Thursday... I would, for a start, make a list of exactly where I was at. Every account, every credit card, of which there are various, every um, position and every loan, where did that get to me? And at the bottom, I I worked out £12,500. It was a mountain to climb. This was in, I think, in the June of 2007. But what I decided to do was that I was going to pray every Thursday and make note of where I was. And by the 1st of the 1st, 2008, I would set a little target to say, I I would love to be out of debt by then. But I don't know how on earth it would happen. So every week, faithfully, I began to to do that. In the midst of that, I realized that I needed to go and speak to someone. I needed to go and be honest about where I was at. I went to one of the leaders of the church and said, hey, look, do you mind if I just sit down and talk to you for a moment? And uh, I just need to tell you where I'm at because I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed and I've I've got myself into a real mess here. I sat down with Simon Holly and uh, he, bless him, didn't get his checkbook out, which I was kind of hoping. But what what he did do was he said, Steve, well done well done for sharing with me, and I'm going to pray for you. 
And he said, then he, he said, I want you to go and talk to your small group about it. So I was like, man, this is going to be real hard. And I sat down with my small group at the time and I said, guys, I've made a complete pig's ear of my finances and I'm in a real pickle and I, I need some, uh, just some, some help. Would you be able to stand with me? And they prayed for me. Again, no one gave me any money, but they, they prayed for me and they knew that they were, I knew that they were in it with me. And week by week, I began to, every Thursday, pray and say, okay, well, where am I at? God, you need to break in. Come and do something in the midst of this. And you know, in that period, I started to give to God. I decided to make sure that, although I'd been giving, I'm going to make sure that he proportionally has the right amount from my salary. I'm going to make sure that I prioritize that. I was able to give the largest sum at that point I'd ever given to our building fund. I was able to buy a ring to propose to my now wife. And you know what's phenomenal? It was on the first of the first... 2008, for the very first time, as I went down and looked at all the accounts, the final line was in the black. It was a quite <laughs> phenomenal thing. And you know, it's not actually like there was a huge figure of something that happened in the midst of it. It was just God's goodness as he faithfully shared and provided for me. And little things kind of happened. There were some unusual contacts at the time that said, hey, I want you to build me a website. I was building websites at the time. Um, I want you to do it next year, but can I pay you now? Because we've got to use this money. There was someone else who said, hey, is it possible I could pay you for the next two years subscription? And so there were, there were moments and elements that surprised, but actually it was just through God's grace and miraculous provision. You know, he taught me three things in the midst of that. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You need not have any shame over such things. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And we can have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I realized that sharing with people was critical. And that he would meet all my needs, as it says in Philippians 4 verse 19. I had the joy of partnering with him in the midst of this journey. Jesus says in our verses, your heart follows your treasure. Money leads, your heart follows. And so if you want to care more about eternal things, can I just suggest that you, you partner with eternal things and you give toward eternal things. It helps us to grow in gratitude. It gives us testimonies of celebrating God's goodness to us. It helps us actually to become more like Christ because he's the one who gave it all. And what we're doing is we're contributing to something which not only Jesus started as the corporate church, but something that nothing is going to stop. It's the best organization because it's one which is going to last for eternity. It enables us to break free from greed and escape chains. And it helps me to contribute to stories that I hear. It was just a couple of weeks ago when we had the baptisms here. And oh my word, they blew my socks off. Isn't it so good to hear of lives being changed? I can't do that. But I know the church can. Because people are hearing the gospel. Now, if you are already giving, this is going to be the best sermon you've ever heard because of the fact that you can celebrate that, God, I'm doing those things and it's changing me. And if you're not giving right now, or if you feel like actually God's calling you to contribute more, then actually this is the best sermon because of the fact that it means you've got an opportunity immediately to respond and get all of the joy and benefits and the significance of those things as well. Let me just share with you finally that Actually, living for an eternity and living for that which is going to be eternal is also about us living for the harvest. You see, your acts of kindness and generosity make a difference. Jesus said that even the person who brings me a cup of water or even a person who brings someone a cup of water will surely be rewarded. 
And that generosity is something about reflecting God's heart. Well, let's make it personal for a moment. Because you can imagine that if there is a, a holy heavenly scribe, maybe an angel, who's writing down every single act of courage, an act of generosity that you do, you know, the bike that you bought for the neighbor, written down, the books that you took to the prisoners, the monthly checks that you give in to the church finances, the missionaries that you support, the giving to the King's Arms Project that supports the homeless, every single one makes a difference in the lives of the people that they touch. And I would love to be alongside that angel as that stuff gets read out and just to celebrate with you every single life that you touched. You know, in the midst of that difficult season that I was in when money was very tight, I'd become a Christian and I felt like I wanted to make more time to connect with people outside the church, non-Christians. And um, I, I, at that time, I, I started a football team. It was, uh, was going to cost me some money. I put something like 500 pounds into that team to get it off the ground. It was called King's AFC, and we saw a stack of wonderful things happen. We saw people get, a, get saved. We saw some people get along, come along to kind of alphas and to uh, men's breakfast, and we had some brilliant conversations and encounters. And um, it brought back to me recently the significance of me doing that when just a few weeks ago there was a guy in the, uh, who came along to an alpha course that we were doing here called Rowan. Great guy. He used to play for King's AFC all those years ago. And I remember walking up and down the pitch just before I would on Saturdays, praying by name for every person who was part of that team. And uh, a few weeks ago, therefore, Rowan came along and uh, he, he, he is going through a bit of a tough time in his life. And um, he came along to Alpha and was asking questions and engaging with things. And then three weeks ago, he gave his life to Jesus. And you know, and you know, it kind of moved me. And he's now actually he's given me permission to share this story because he's sat in this room right now. And it kind of moved me because I realized that the seeds sown even years ago, I trust have just taken and made a difference in his life. And that's just such a phenomenal thing for me. Because do you know what? Every single penny, every single moment, every single prayer, it's worthwhile because it has an eternal significance. Just a, just a week or so ago, I was out with Rowan running, and we had a little run alongside a, um, a kind of park near, near me, and he said to me, he, was, he had a real tough week, and at one point, he kind of picked up his phone in order, order to throw it at a wall, but he said at that moment, God spoke to him, and he put the phone down, and he went and read his Bible. And I thought, praise God, you know, it's, it's those things that transform us, it's those things that I'm excited about, it's those things that I realize that every single thing is worthwhile 